Welcome, everyone. Today's episode is with Lyle May, who was one of the authors of the book Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row. Lyle's the last of the four men that I have spoken with about their time on death row and their different interests and transformations in the time that they've been there. Lyle truly is very education-centered, and I enjoyed learning about uh, his in-depth knowledge about what's going on in prisons, his research into that, and his desire uh, into prison journalism and providing a larger picture of the humanization and dehumanization of prisoners. I think you'll find the conversation to be really fascinating, and I hope that you open your mind to learning and growing, as we all should, no matter where we are in our lives, no matter what environment or situation we're in, we can all grow. So thank you for listening to this episode with Lyle May. Lyle, it's nice to be back on with you. Thank you for the time. No problem. It's good to talk with you again, Dr. Parker. Yes, sir. I wanted to ex- uh, expand upon what we were talking about last time. And you had mentioned, and this, I, this term stuck with me, you wanted to be a prison journalist. I would like to hear more about that. So it's important to understand a little bit about how the media works in the penal system, and that's either state or federal. It's actually tougher for uh, the federal system, but we'll, we'll stick with the state system. So okay. there are a number of laws that prevent journalists from just coming into a prison and interviewing whomever they want. Uh, they actually have to get permission from prison officials. And a lot of times that, that permission is just denied out of hand uh, without excuse. Now, even though there are Supreme Court rulings that say there has to be a legitimate penological safety and security interest for prison officials to deny access to the media uh, by prisoners. Uh, it doesn't take much. Uh, it doesn't take much at all, actually. Uh, for people on death row, for example, uh, in North Carolina, you have to get permission from the director of prisons. You have to get permission from the warden. You have to get a letter of intent from your attorney. And then uh, the prisoner, uh, him or herself, has to actually write a letter of request. Uh, While that does not mean uh, we can't talk to journalists on the phones, this is just specifically for journalists coming into the prison to uh, videotape or uh, do an audio recording of an interview. Uh, So what that means is the public often gets only what prison officials tell them. And of course, that's one-sided. It's going to make them try to look as good as possible. It's like they're doing their jobs, like they have the public safety in mind. Uh, It's never going to be about the prisoners. It's never going to be about uh, what we experience. And uh, that's problematic because you don't have an opportunity to really get to know people in prison. And it, it upholds that barrier between uh, the public and the prison walls. So what I consider myself doing as a prison journalist is challenging that penal narrative, uh, showing people that 
there are human beings behind these walls, that there is more than meets the eye to what you're reading in newspapers and magazines and seeing on uh, television news. Uh, those are all very specific, very narrow, very, uh, we'll say, criminological-minded uh, uh, stories. They are not very humanizing. In fact, they can often be dehumanizing. Uh, often what you hear about are only the crimes of the people behind walls uh, and nothing else. The only time you may hear about any uh, human element connected to people in prison is once they've been exonerated, and even then it's still attached to the crime. Uh, so I try uh, often to describe the personalities, uh, some of the uh, idiosyncrasies uh, of people in prison, you know, but certainly a lot of uh, the good things that you learn from uh, people that I've lived with, uh, people that have died around me. Uh, that's and that's kind of that kind of develops out of uh, my writing, both from Crimson Letters and uh, blog posts that I, I've written for a blog that's now kind of defunct. Um, but I've always been interested in, in kind of talking about this place because there's so little that's really known about it other than, you know, the structure of it. So another thing that I do with my uh, prison journalism is I, I try to challenge the idea of, of that structure in, in the sense that it's not, <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, so I guess a good example of that would be my writing for Scalawag, uh, most of my articles for them have been uh, an insider's take on things that have been going on in the North Carolina penal system over the last several years. A good, uh, really important example is what happened in, in 2017. There were uh, a number of prison officers who were killed in the line of duty, and all of the reporting focused on uh, safety and security uh, measures that weren't being met, understaffing, and you know the violent nature of prison. Well, while all of that is true, it ignores why the violence occurred. It ignores yeah. that there's no incentive in the prison system anymore. That you're locking people up and throwing away the key, and and that has uh, that has a result, and that result is often a more violent place. You've removed educational uh, programs. You've removed rehabilitative programs. There's uh, very limited uh, access to mental health programs, and all those things have an impact, and, and that impact was seen in 2017. So in my prison journalism, I, I write about these things. I, I challenge this idea that you know there's only one way to look at prison and at the penal system and that the jobs prison officials are doing. I mean, there's a lot there for sure. And I wonder from your perspective, what would be the most surprising thing that people maybe wouldn't, they'd be surprised to learn about from people that are in death row. Like, what would they be like? Wow, that's, I would not see that that is something I would, that I've been told about people who are, are on death row. that were human beings. Uh, I think one of the things that is often trying to, that is often done 
uh, with capital crimes is this dehumanization process that makes it easier to uh, put people to death and, you know, essentially throw them away. Uh, and, it, and that's not specific to uh, capital punishment. That's throughout the system. Uh, but on death row specifically is that we are not uh, fixed beings. We continue to live uh, and grow and evolve over time just like any other human being. Uh, and the death penalty specifically leads people to believe that that's just not possible. Well, what's not possible is that a human being does not change over time. Uh, if you put people in, in an environment, in a community, where they can uh, essentially learn from one another and give each other feedback and uh, provide them with a chance just to uh, engage in, in self-analysis, then you're going to find growth there. That's, and that doesn't matter what, envir what the environment is, whether it's death row, uh, an ordinary prison, or, or somewhere else in, in the world. Uh, it's going to happen. And people who support the death penalty, they don't think about it like that. They, they stop thinking about us as human beings the moment we receive that death right. sentence or the moment they hear about that crime. And I don't mean in any way, shape, or form to take away from the the negative element, or I should say the, uh, the need to punish people severely who commit murder and who commit crimes. However, I don't think it means, it, or that it precludes humanity, that it should preclude, that it should, excuse me, that it should preclude life. So, you know, within this context, I mean, there, you know, there are people who are thinking, hey, you know, these guys, they should not get any rehabilitative programs. I've seen that or have the opportunity to have education like you're speaking about. But beyond the education, what are some other maybe alternative things that can be done to create rehabilitation for prisoners? Well, this kind of goes all the way back to the original uh, development of the penitentiary. When the first penitentiary was created, it was the only form of rehabilitation was a Bible in solitary confinement. And in some cases it works. I'm not saying that that's something I would promote. I certainly don't uh, agree with extensive solitary confinement terms or as the only source of rehabilitation being a Bible, but the, the core of that is uh, spiritual development brings behavioral development, and one reinforces the other. And if you feed the spirit over time, you are going to change the behavior necessarily, uh, and that is not connected necessarily to higher education either. Right. Right. I mean, I wonder if there's some alt other plans like, you know, I, I think there's in different countries, there's different um, ways um, that countries go about in rehabilitating their prisoners or there's maybe more of a nature centered aspect to it versus a education centered aspect. Are there some outside the box approaches that you've thought of or that you've been introduced to related to that? Actually, there are. I am in communication with a graduate student in St. Paul, Minnesota, 
and mm-hmm. she is developing nature programs that are oh. for rehabilitative purposes. And uh, she has uh, found a way to kind of connect prisoners with the, uh, the very physical environment of trees and plants and uh, nature preservation and you know trailblazing in terms of, and uh, even as much as cleaning up trash. And I don't necessarily mean road squads that pick up trash off the side of the highway, yeah. but uh, people who are, are going along beaches and, and helping uh, preserve those areas, uh, shoring up dunes. Uh, there are a number of different uh, stages and or we'll say uh, areas of the environment that need that care and that is something that uh, prisoners can do that will help them beginning to better understand what it means to care for something, to really care yeah. for something. Uh, well, this this woman uh, I've been talking with, uh, her name is Monica Randazzo. She is de- also developing this program where uh, these prisoners are growing trees and they're, they're caring for gardens. And these, I think, are as important as any dog training program that you might find in a prison. Yeah. Uh, which is something that North Carolina prisons do. Uh, and the environment is important. As we all know, that, uh, there's a global warming crisis. And if this is something that you're educating prisoners about uh, early on, you can get them to understand there are there is roles, there are roles that they can take in, that, uh, in saving the planet. And I, I think that that's one kind of outside-of-the-box thing, a uh, rehabilitative program that people don't, think about with regards to prisoners yeah i mean you hear a lot of at least i hear a lot uh where i am and i think in the world is starting to come more into at least looking at the idea of um prison reform and like what is going on with our prisons why are these what are the outcomes going on uh with that is that something that you pay quite a bit of attention to about that there may be a groundswell of at least initial aspects of people wanting to see a different version of what's going on? Yes, uh, that's the simple answer. I, I've, you have 60 seconds remaining. I've paid attention to the kind of the, the shifts in chronology uh, mm-hmm. over the last several years, and it's really been encouraging in the last, say, two years especially, uh, to see interest on both sides of the aisles and reforming uh, the penal system across the country and the way that we uh, view prisoners and mass incarceration and uh, charging decisions. You have 30 seconds remaining. Now it's really just a hope that we can get uh, legislators and governors and uh, state officials to really kind of get behind those policies. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Well, Lyle, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate getting the opportunity to speak with you again. No problem. Uh So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, 
uh, daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.